What is up, Only Playbook fans? We are back for another episode, episode 74. We are previewing week four. Thursday night football has already happened last night. We'll recap that. Uh, no Shoshot again, too busy doing doctor things. So it's me and Shovit. Shovit, how's it going, man? It's going pretty good, man. We back and we're ready to give you guys the preview that you need. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to run through all the games, talk about, you know, pickups that you need to look into prior to Sunday and any other fantasy slash injury implications. Without further ado, Shovit, let's jump right into water cooler talk. Thursday night football kicked off last night. It was an ugly game. I think the first thing that needs to be mentioned is if anybody watched, you're probably thinking about Tua Tagovailoa with that really, really scary injury that he suffered. Um, a lot of questions of, you know, following the NFL Twitter all day. You know, there's a lot of people that want answers on, you know, the turnaround of Tua getting hurt last week. Everybody that watched thinking it was a concussion because he got up and stumbled and it was very, very like visually apparent, but you know, if you're not a doctor and if you're not in the medical field, you know, that may not mean everything. So it's easy for us to assume that that's what it was, but the medical doctors and everybody determined that it was just a neck injury and that he passed concussion protocol. So um, I don't know. It was just a really, really scary sight. I think for everybody watching the game last night, I'd never seen anybody experience anything like that. Seeing like just the amount of replays that they showed on Amazon prime with his <laughs> fingers like that. I'm like, dude, we get it, man. We get it. Um, and I don't know, maybe know. some people aren't as sensitive to it, but like, a couple of times seems more than enough, but I don't know what your thoughts are there, but I was very, like, I, I felt, I felt for him big time and you could see the teammates, like the other team, the stadium, right. I mean, it just, the air kind of got sucked out of the game there for a while, but uh, you know, pushing all that aside, the good news is we got reports that he had, you know, all of movement in his extremities today. He tweeted out that like, everything is good. He's doing better. So uh, happy to hear that. But I know that was kind of a scary sight to see for anybody watching the game. No, 100%, man. That Just those fingers, man. I didn't even know that having a head injury, that it's all connected through your spines and you can have uh, an impact on your fingers. That is that is so scary. But glad to hear that he's doing well. He flew back with the team. So good signs there. But a lot, like you said, a lot of questions. Like who's to uh, be blamed for this? And they've got team doctors and then they've got like these other doctors that are not associated with the team and mm -hmm. uh, at, at the end of the day it's the team doctors that decide right like whether or not they're to give the clearance and I don't know what the ruling from these this third party uh medical team was but they thought it was they started still going with that it's a back issue it's not related to last week's injury but uh yeah a lot of questions and we'll, I think we're, we're it's still going to unfold itself and we'll find out more throughout this week yeah, I mean, I read a tweet that said when he got hurt last week and you saw that like stumbling, he was back on the field in real time eight minutes after that, right? So it wasn't, it was eight real time minutes that after he had suffered that he was back on the field. So, I mean, that just kind of blows my mind. And and I don't know if it's more so this year, Chauvet, but I felt like the NFL's concussion protocol seemed way more conservative in years past that like, if you suffered a concussion one week, like, I, I can't think of a time that a guy passed concussion protocol that quickly, or even like to play the week after most times, what I saw was like, they didn't clear concussion protocol mm -hmm. and they were going to sit a week. So I'd never seen that quick of a turnaround for somebody who deemed to have a concussion, especially like when we saw it last week, I thought for sure he was out for the game. So him returning that game was already crazy, but turn around and play on a short week on Thursday night and then suffer something similar. It's just, it's just not good for Tua, his family, for the sport, for the team, just for yeah. his future, right? So, um, yeah. you know, let's let's hope everything went according to plan and this just happened to be like a uh, a coincidence that this transpired and that everything is good for him. But hoping long-term that there's nothing serious for Tua because he has been balling out and I want to see more of him on the field to continue to prove me wrong because I was such a big Tua doubter personally. So um, glad to hear that that's okay. The story of the game was the Bengals at home took care of business, 27-15 final. Uh, Bengals were favored by three and a half under 49 cash. I think the name of the game, this game was a couple of wide receivers on both sides stood out, right? Tyreek, your boy, 10 catches, 160 yards. Mr. Cheetah. And, dude, every time he touches the ball, you think he's gone, right? Just yeah. the way he moves, the way he jukes people. It's just so fun to see the ball in his hands. Uh, 10 for 160. And then T Higgins on the other side with a great game, seven for 124, found the end zone on that bomb where he beat uh, Xavier Howard, who was dealing with that glute groin injury. So yeah. like, he gets a little bit of a pass because I know he was dealing with that, but still, bro, you got burned. T Higgins showing out. Um, neither team really ran the ball effectively. I think that was one thing I noticed. I mean, Joe Mixon, man, he's just, he's such a like unexciting fantasy player, 24 carries for somebody that, you know, 
just basically running into his offensive <laughs> lineman every every single play. Only garnered like seventy or sixty seven yards. Did find the end zone. That touchdown yeah. run was impressive, where he got stopped and then like the entire O line pushed him in. So that was you know nonetheless he still was productive for fantasy owners and he's still getting the volume to justify starting him. But it's not pretty. And then on the other side, I think I think it's really really important to talk about Raheem Mostert. Seventy two percent of the time he was on the field. They tried to get Edmonds involved, like that first drive, that touchdown pass to him where he just straight up dropped it. I don't know if that dictated how they featured him the rest of the game, but clearly they have goal line packages or they have plays designed for Edmonds, so they like to utilize his passing game. But Mostert's been a great runner, and Mostert's been more than capable as a pass catcher, so I don't know if this really dwindles Edmonds' fantasy value, but he's not a guy you're probably comfortable starting. I think his fantasy relevance has just become because he got into the end zone the last couple of weeks to make his – uh, slash line looks somewhat respectable, but I think if Mozart's still on, you know, on free agency, which he shouldn't be, but if he's on your bench, you're probably leaning more towards this guy looking to probably uh, deploy him in your lineup for weeks to come. So that's exciting for Mozart owners, but not exciting for Edmonds owners. But again, the story of the game, Bengals protected the football, right? We talk about Cincinnati's Achilles heel, protect the football, protect Joe Burrow. And if you win the turnover differential or the turnover battle, you're probably going to win the game. And that, that's what they did. They won the turnover battle. They protected the football. Joe Burrow was protected. Um, and they, you know, moved on to victory. And now they're two and two. And I think the Bengals or the Dolphins were the second to last team that was undefeated in the NFL. So now there's only one team left that's undefeated. Uh, good for the Bengals because I know they have a really tough division there. Uh, and for the Dolphins, I'm not really worried about them. More so just focused on Tua getting back on the field because, you know, as great as Teddy is in kind of the role that he fits, he still doesn't show the upside that Tua kind of showcases here early in the season. So, uh, nonetheless, Bengals take care of that one, 27-15. you have anything to add in that game? Uh, yeah. Um, so, one last thing to add. We talked about Mixon. Mixon is having a historically poor, uh, I guess, stats as far as any running back is concerned. With the amount of attempts that he has and the yardage, uh, total yards that he has, no other running back has had lower uh, um, rushing yards with that many attempts uh, before at, from, from you know week one to week three. So I, it might be the offensive line, but he also doesn't have that explosiveness that where he mm-hmm. you know breaks away and um, when, you, when you hand it off, and, he, and he, he doesn't have the explosiveness to like run away with it. So I think uh, he's a 29-year-old back, and I think father time is getting closer, and we may see more Chris Evans or P. Ryan. Um, in the future yeah i mean you know the, the the play on third down where they put chris evans in the slot and they ran that they ran that like wheel route and threw him a bomb and it was overthrown uh but still yeah. it was just interesting because we talked about it in our group chat you got guys like higgins chase and boyd <laughs> and you're throwing a wheel route on third down to evans but you had mentioned there's something about Bengals fans loving yeah. chris evans so this guy probably has flashed things in practice to warrant getting plays ran for him so uh i guess you know if we can see more consistency or see something that he can be productive it makes sense but man when you have the weapons that you already have is there really reason to run plays for the backup running back I don't know um, but yeah. it is what it is nonetheless they came away victorious and they moved to two and two Dolphins dropped to three and one uh, but you know primetime games have been kind of dudley if you will for the last three weeks so uh, this one kind of fit the bill to be a little bit dudley based on the fact that we expected this matchup to be a little bit more high-flying couple of other news to real quickly note. We talked about the Pro Bowl last week where the Pro Bowl is gone and they're going to have skills competition. You know, the thing about the Pro Bowl and why it's lost its lust is anybody that got selected, if they just didn't want to participate, they could just be like, I'm not going to go. And so they just find anybody like the next best guy. And there was a year again where Trubisky and Teddy Bridgewater were the Pro Bowl quarterbacks. And I'm like, dude, the Pro Bowl has kind of lost all of its flame once, you know, that year transpired. But they put out a rule that if you're selected to one of these Pro Bowl skill games, you're required to attend barring some sort of a medical issue. Now, I imagine there's still gray area there where, you know, you can probably say, oh, you know, I'm sore. Oh, I'm dealing with something and not show up. But the fact that they're putting out rules means they want this to garner more viewership for like better players to play, right? Like we don't, we want to see the guys that deserve to be there, be there and play. Obviously, unless you're in the Super Bowl or something and you want to skip it, that's totally different. But, you know, we're not watching these skills competitions for the Trubisky's and the Bridgewater's, man. We're watching it for like the Mahomes, the Brady's, the Rodgers, those guys. And there's only two, two quarterbacks or two teams that can be in the Super Bowl. So everybody else that gets selected, we want to see them there. I want to see like the best receivers go up against each other in some of these competitions. I think that would make it so much more fun. And, and a lot of people would watch versus kind of what the Pro Bowl had become the last couple of years. So 
I think that's an interesting wrinkle that they put into that rule. So we'll see if again, players still find loopholes to, you know, create injury designations to not play, or if people actually take it to mean, you know, Hey, this is just an opportunity for us to all hang out, have fun and, and put on a show because that's really kind of what I want to see. Hurricane Ian has come and gone, obviously, to those that were affected, you know, hoping everything is good. I know there were still parts of the area that were severely impacted, but from a football perspective, it looks like the worst is over and Tampa Bay is going to play that Sunday night football game at home against the Chiefs as expected and is going to be a home game played on time. So uh, no playing in Minnesota at the Viking Stadium or anything like that. They are going to play at home. Let's jump into a couple of waiver and free agent additions that you may be looking at heading into week four. Khalil Herbert running back for the Bears. Looks like he's going to get the start. Montgomery is officially listed as out. He's probably one of the top guys from waiver pickups that were picked up this week. If for some wild reason, somebody didn't put a waiver claim on him, he is definitely a guy that needs to get picked up. Even if it's just not for the fact that it's this week, he has shown that he looks a lot better than Montgomery does in that offense. And so there could be a future where Khalil Herbert becomes the starter or at least starts to take away more of the role from Montgomery. He's got the explosiveness. He can catch passes. He can run. I think the biggest thing is Montgomery's a great pass blocker. So I think that's the only last piece of Khalil Herbert's game that's going to give him like the full RB1 on that team. Um, but that's somebody that you need to look out for. Vikings running back Alexander Madison. It looks like Dalvin Cook's going to play with that shoulder sling, but as Vikings fans, as fans of the NFL, we know that Dalvin Cook is good for at least two to four games missed a year. So Madison is a great handcuff or a stash on your bench for those weeks to deploy because, you know, the Vikings will still run the ball a good amount. Receivers, Packers wide receiver Romeo Dobbs, also probably a popular waiver wire pickup. He does look like he is going to be the wide receiver one for the Packers, at least for the time being. Uh, seven catches, 80 some yards and a touchdown last week. And so any wide receiver, that's a wide receiver one for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you probably want on your team. So if he's still out there, definitely go scoop him up. I know the Bengals played last night, but a guy I had listed on here was Tyler Boyd after, you know, the, the, I guess the cohesion that he already has with Burrow, the fact that whenever defenses are playing those two highs, he's kind of the underneath guy. That's at least what I interpreted to happen last night. And it didn't really happen. So I don't know if he's a guy that you're really worth rostering at this point, knowing that you have Higgins and chase there. And they seem to like to get Joe Mixon the ball on catches, Evans on catches, even Hayden Hurst. So there are a lot of mounts to feed outside of the big two that they are going to feature pretty much week in and week out. So I don't necessarily think Boyd's somebody that you want to keep on your bench. But, um, you know, if you get desperate, he is there in an offense that loves to throw the football. Yeah. Deeper leagues. Yeah, that definitely you want, you want to throw it. You want you could add Tyler Boyd into the mix. And he also threw a pass last game. And you know what's funny about that? When I was watching that, Kirk Herbstreit said Tyler Boyd was a great quarterback in high school or something like that, right? And then yeah. I saw a tweet, tweet today from a guy who literally covers the high school he went to, and he's like, I can confirm Tyler Boyd never played quarterback <laughs> in high school. So, so I was like, I don't really know. Kirk Herbstreit's just pulling just, shit out of his yeah. ass. But <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big change. I, one thing I noticed, and I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but he's jumping from like covering college games to the NFL. And a lot of his analysis is like, oh, this guy's one of the best at what he does. But I feel like he's using his college brain to say this guy's the best at what he yeah. does. And it hasn't translated to this guy being the best at what he does in the NFL per se. So that's one thing I noticed early. I can't think of the player, but he mentioned a couple of players that are like, oh, this guy's one of the best tacklers in the league. And I'm like, is he though? Is he really? And so I don't know if he's just really drawing a lot of his college football experience to like commentate in the nfl was right it now. logan wilson was he talking about logan wilson or someone it else it wasn't because if it was no. logan wilson yeah. i think i think there's a legitimate case to be right. made because he's been so good but i can't I remember think. but yeah, it, it's enough. just one of those things where i think he's literally drawing a lot from <laughs> his college experience to talk about the nfl so uh let's see if kirky kirky boy can you know start to get the nfl under his belt and really give us actual nfl analysis but um tyler boyd and then we move on uh, what Raiders wide receiver Mac Hollins surprisingly has garnered a lot of catches, a lot of targets, even with them having Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, uh, Darren Waller. I don't know if it's deeper leagues that you're looking at him because I still am remiss to believe that this guy's going to be a consistent fantasy producer for you with the different mounts and the better mounts to feed that are there. But if you're in deeper leagues, it's definitely garnering some uh, stash probability to have Mac Hollins on your bench. Same thing with Bill's wide receiver, Isaiah McKenzie. We know Gabe Davis is the RB2 or wide receiver two there, but he's still hobbled. He's still dealing with that ankle injury there. And so Isaiah McKenzie got a lot of attention last week. He's a great slot guy. He's going to get a lot of underneath stuff. So if defense are going to continue to play that too high shell against the Buffalo Bills and not let, you know, the Davises and the Diggs beat them, Isaiah McKenzie seems to be a nice answer for Josh Allen in the slot as kind of a safety blanket. 
Cowboys wide receiver Michael Gallup officially off of the injury report, so he may make his debut this week. The, the sad part about that is it's Cooper Rush, so, you know, take with that what you will. It is still nice to see that he is going to be back. He's probably going to slot right into the X receiver for them with C.D. Lamb on the other side. Um, what's his face? Noah Brown has been getting a lot of targets and catches, so if that means anything for kind of the future of Michael Gallup, he is definitely worth, uh, you know, at least having on your bench watching a couple of weeks and then whether Cooper rush plays longer or Dax actually progressing from his injury, a lot of, a lot faster than we expected. Uh, he could definitely be fantasy relevant towards the latter half of the season. Bucks wide receiver, Russell Gage. I know the bucks are dealing with a lot of injuries on their receiving core. Uh, as long as Evans, Godwin, Julio, those guys continue to remain injured. I think it's just apparent and imminent that Russell Gage is going to get targets. Tom Brady's going to need to throw the football somewhere, whether it's Cole Beasley, whether it's Gage. Uh, Gage definitely deserves a roster spot, at least present day with the injury situation around the Bucks receiving core. A couple of tight ends. Brown's tight end, David Njoku, has started off the season pretty nicely. Um, it's hard to say with Jacoby Brissett and in a run-first offense how consistent he's going to be, but we talk about it all the time with the tight end position. Outside of like the cream of the crop, everything else is kind of a crapshoot anyway, so if you're not you know, holding the Kelsey's, the uh, Andrews, probably the mm-hmm. Ertz, maybe the Pitts, those Wallers. guys, your pro- Wallers, you're probably looking at trying to funnel the best matchups on a week-to-week basis for tight end position. And Joku is definitely somebody to keep an eye on in terms of the passing game for Cleveland. Same thing with Jets tight end, Tyler Conklin. He's kind of garnered a nice role for himself. The one kind of caveat to that is it was wild. Joe Flacco was quarterback and now Zach Wilson's back. <laughs> so we got to see who the camaraderie is going to build with Zach Wilson, whether it's going to be Conklin, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson's going to kind of maintain that steam and momentum that he's built up. So uh, something to watch out for. But again, tight end is such a scarce position that if you're going to get a guy that's seeing some volume that has the opportunity to find the end zone every, every so often, uh, they deserve a roster spot. And then your boy, Jags tight end, Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram's another guy that has built some camaraderie with Trevor Lawrence. Um, so he definitely deserves a stash spot on your roster. Any other waiver wire pickup show of it that I did not mention? No, I think you covered it all. I mean, this guy, Jamal Williams, probably not in waivers anymore, but he is going to get the start. Yeah, he shouldn't be, but uh, he'll start over DeAndre Swift. So, yeah, that's definitely a guy that if he, you know, with if Swift, I think Swift's already designated to be out, right? I think Williams is a guy that you absolutely start, yeah. especially with Noah Monra as well. So, uh, and I think DJ Tark is dealing with an injury and Hawkinson's on the injury report. So there's a lot of weapons that are injured there. So you're probably deploying Jamal Williams with full confidence. That's it for water cooler talk show of it. Let's jump into the rundown. Sunday morning kicks off with an early, early game in London at Tottenham Spurs stadium. The Vikings are going to be there as the road team taking on the new Orleans saints. Vikings are favored by two and a half over under 43 and a half couple of injury notes on the same side James Winston looks like he's doubtful probably not going to play Michael Thomas is officially listed as out so there is going to be Andy Dalton at the helm probably and you're looking at guys like Chris Olave Jarvis Landry maybe even Alvin Kamara getting a little bit more work with no Michael Thomas uh, on the other side I'm obviously looking at how the Vikings are going to continue to maintain some momentum and get Justin Jefferson kind of his ship right if you will uh, last couple of weeks have been subpar for him, but he is drawing a lot of double, triple, t- triple teams. That has spelled good news for KJ Osborne and Adam Thielen, but you like to believe that, you know, a true number one, one of the best receivers in the league, you're still going to find ways to get him involved. But the Vikings offense looks like they should be in line to have a good game. I know the Saints defense is supposed to be good on paper. They're going to have Marshawn Lattimore, but so far what they're supposed to be versus how they've actually played has been a little bit, you know, not really uh, correlating. So I'm a little worried about the Saints defense, and I'm a little worried that the offense isn't going to get enough going, could have some shorter fields for the Vikings, and um, that could garner some points given up. But outside of that, again, I think I personally, even as a Viking fan, no bias aside, I think the Vikings should win this football game. You're playing against a backup quarterback. You don't have your pretty much your wide receiver one, and the defense has a lot of question marks. So um, I think the Vikings should be able to take care of business. Last time Kirkerton was in London, he threw for almost 500 yards. So that was with the, that was with the Redskins at the time. Uh, so hopefully we can get a repeat performance for uh, Kirk Cousins and he can put on a show in London. Nice. It's like the opposite of primetime. So Kirk just shines. And does, <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. Super, super early in the morning, 9.30 a.m. <laughs> nobody's awake. Kirk's just throwing for 500 yards. In five <laughs> That's hilarious. 
Yeah, I, I think the Saints defense uh, is not as good as they've been, but Marshawn Lattimore is the bright spot there. He has been average, like total yards, I think is like 50 to 60 yards for all uh, the receivers that he's been covering. So uh, if the Vikings were watching Thursday Night Football and saw what Joe Burrow did with T. Higgins with Chase being double teamed, uh, if they follow that same sort of, um, I guess, game script, then they should be all right. All right, next up, we've got the Cleveland Browns at Atlanta Falcons. Uh, this is going to be an interesting, interesting game. Uh, the Falcons have uh, surprisingly a decent offense, and the Browns have a lot of injuries on defense. So Miles Garrett is hurt because of the car accident, and uh, so is Jadavian uh, Clowney. So these guys are questionable. Um, so what, a, a game that I think that the Browns can really just go out and win straight up, like, you know, easy peasy kind of deal. I think it's going to be tough because of the, if those uh, if Jadavian Clowney and Miles Garrett are, um, is out, um, one guy that needs to step up for the Browns in terms of the defense is Denzel Ward, the cornerback, cornerback one. Uh, he gave up eight receptions for 84 yards to Deontay Johnson. Uh, Falcons, you know, they've got Cordell Patterson. They've got Drake London. They've got Kyle Pitts. These guys aren't short on offense, so they can definitely put up points. Uh, now, their defense is a whole nother ball game, and uh, especially their run run defense. I think that uh, the Browns are going to run heavy. Nick Chubb is going to be there. And then with this kind of um, Amari Cooper being able to be successful with Brissett being accurate, and using him in play actions, uh, the Browns certainly have a way, a chance to win this game. But uh, it'll, it's going to be an interesting game. It might be closer than uh, we expect. But uh, Falcons definitely have a chance to win this game if their offense can score points. Uh, but so it, it's even. I'm not sure which way to lean. I'm going to lean Browns uh, just because of the Nick, Nick Chubb factor. Yeah, I mean, if they can if they can run the ball, establish the run, control the clock like they do, I think the Falcons aren't at their best when they're going to need to only pass, right? I mean, I think. Cordero Patterson has been so good just running the football and then utilizing Drake London on the play action, excuse me, on the play actions and then getting Mariota scrambling around in space to mm -hmm. find open receivers. If they have to be down and they're just strictly becoming like a pass first team, then I think they'll struggle even with the weapons. I mean, it's Mariota, unfortunately. So, but I think if, if the game script dictates a lot of running on both sides and no team go out to big leads, then we could see a close score in the fourth quarter that could go either which way, hence the minus one line. But like you, if I have to take a lean, I'm leaning Browns minus one all day long. That takes us to Dallas for a divisional matchup. The commanders are in town. Cowboys at home with a backup quarterback favored by three points over under 41 and a half. How much the commanders have fallen after Carson Wentz's his first two weeks, right? I mean, they're underdogs to a backup quarterback. I think the line more dictates the impressiveness of the Dallas defense, man. That pass rush is absolutely no joke. I fear for Carson Wentz's life. I mean, he's already so erratic. He's notorious for fumbling the football, throwing interceptions, just being very, you know, what's the word? Just not safe with the football. He's he's very uh, <laughs> erratic. I can't think of erratic. Yeah, that's that's a good way. He's very <laughs> erratic with the football. So I, I think this is going to be really, really troublesome for the commanders if they can't run the ball. And a lot of teams have had trouble running the ball against this Dallas front. Uh, Dak is progressing well. He's not going to play this week, but how much, how long they thought he was going to be out initially doesn't seem like he's going to be out that long. So there is a chance he even returns next week. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. And Michael Gallup, like I mentioned, he returns to help out that offense a little bit. But again, I'm more so watching out for this commander's front on the offensive side against this Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence uh, defensive line for the Cowboys that's generating so much pressure. And Micah Parsons may not have the stats to back up, you know, what he's how good he is but it's because he's getting double teamed and triple teamed and that's why demarcus lawrence had three sacks last game right so demarcus lawrence is already a really good defensive end but micah parsons is on another level so if you're going to leave lawrence one-on-one -on -one and triple team micah parsons it's still going to be a field day for that defensive front so i really really need the commanders to establish something with antonio gibson i know that's really just a sad thing to ask for because it's antonio gibson but if they can not necessarily just run with him, but if they can utilize him in that short screen game uh, where Dallas is bringing pressure and blitz and the blitz gets too close and then you're throwing dump offs to him, they can find space against that Cowboys defense. Their secondary is not as great as that interior. So if you can get past the defensive front, there are options there. Obviously you have weapons. You have Curtis Samuel, you're, you have Terry McLaurin, you have Jahan Dodson, you even have Logan Thomas. So there are weapons on the outside. Wentz just has to protect the football and he's got to find those weapons. But that offensive line against that defensive line is going to be the biggest thing that I'm looking out for. And I think that defensive front is just going to be too much for the commander. So if I'm leaning away, I'm going Dallas minus three there. Yeah, 100%. I think we'll see once true colors uh, 
bad, you know, in this game, especially they have a kind of pretty cool plan, right? They'll, they'll give up plays, they'll give up yards, but then they'll go for the home run interceptions and things like yep. that. And so uh, with, uh, with um, Lawrence and um, God, what's his name? Uh, Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons. Yeah. With, with those guys yeah. on the defensive line, you know, it's a, it's a well old machine there on the defense. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got the Seahawks at Lions and uh, this game, I think, is a game that the Lions, uh, in a typical, like, no injuries, uh, mano y mano fashion, would blow out the Seahawks. But they've got injuries that we need to consider. Amon Ray St. Brown is not going to be there. DeAndre Swift will not be suiting up. And DJ Chark is questionable. Hopefully he can come in because I think that he'll add the, the missing piece of Amon Ray St. Brown not being there. Uh, but if not, Josh Reynolds uh, will have to uh, step up as, as well. And you already mentioned Hawkinson is out so uh, or, or is questionable. So that mm-hmm. that fears that, that gives me a little bit of fear on the Lions kind of taking this game um, and, and winning. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, the Lions team, uh, as far as offense goes, they're doing really well. Uh, Jared Goff is doing a good job not getting sacked, although his uh, offensive line uh, ranks kind of in the middle of the pack for based on PFS ranking. He does a good job of evading the po- pocket, allowing um, to utilize his running backs, Monterey Saint, guys like Monterey St. Brown. So he's he's getting the, uh, the you know, he's moving the ball forward, which is allowing the Lions to score uh, well on offense. Um, so they're going to have to do a little bit more of that. They're going to have to utilize Jamal Williams, who's playing uh, instead of DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Swift. And uh, the Seahawks defense, right? So we saw them against the Broncos, and they seem pretty good. But outside of that, uh, as far as efficiency rate for quarterbacks is concerned, they've been allowing – um, at 100 or just below at 9900 QB rating to their receive uh, to the to the opposing quarterbacks. So Jared Goff, um, you know, if, as long as he doesn't take risk and is efficient, should be able to still utilize the weapons that he has uh, outside of all all the injuries. Uh, also, another point to add on to the lines: their their rushing game has been really good, fifth in rushing off run offense, while the Seahawks are 21st in in run run defense. Right. So. Uh, all good things for the Lions. The Seahawks, one good thing for them is actually Geno Smith, believe it or not. So Geno Smith, you know, say what you want about him, um, but he has the highest completion percentage over expectation for at, among all quarterbacks. So uh, what's expected of him to complete? He is complete completing. So, um, you know, the, it, it's any anyone's game on a Sunday. I still favor the Lions, but... Uh, the Seahawks could keep it close um, just because of the injuries. At the end of the day, if I had to pick, I'm going to pick the Lions. They're favored by minus four points, and the over-under is at 48 points in this game. Yeah, and, and you bring up a great point, right? Their offensive line, like numbers-wise, all across the board is not like amazing. But Penny Sewell, man, their right tackle, he's got the fifth highest graded tackle uh, blocking score out of PFF so far this season, and he's just 21 years old. So uh, that's a really, really nice tackle to have. At such a young age, they're probably going to lock him up for years, and he's going to be kind of one of the staples of that offensive line. Um, so I think that's really kind of a bright spot. And you had mentioned uh, Josh Reynolds. Josh Reynolds has some camaraderie with Jared Goff, right? I think from their time even with the Rams, I'm pretty sure they played together there, and now they're on the Lions. So if, again, Chark is also hurt and Hawkinson's limping, we already know the guys that are out, uh, there is a world where Josh Reynolds, you know, if you're desperate, you're, you're slotting him in your flex because – the Lions have had the capability to throw the football. They love putting up points. They put up a ton of points so far early in the season. And so if we're looking to maintain that, then somebody's going to have to get some of those points and some of those catches. And Josh Reynolds seems like he could be that guy. Uh, I guess on the Seattle side, the one thing I kind of want to talk about is the the receivers on their side, right? I mean, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, surprisingly, the, the, the drop in production that I expected because of Geno is not there. Now, the completion percentage over expected, that's really, really impressive. But is Geno Smith's expectations just really, really bad then? Like, you know, what's what's the what's the baseline that they're <laughs> expecting him to perform at? And why is he first? Um, nonetheless, I've, I, I agree. Just even watching, he's been way more impressive than I expected him to be, to be yeah. honest. So um, I think that's definitely encouraging signs for them. It has made Lockett somewhat fantasy relevant. And DK has kind of been boom or bust, but he's had his weeks as well. Um, but you're right. Completely healthy. I'm taking lines all day long. Knowing that there's so many injuries four points seems like a little bit bigger than kind of that three point spread that leads me to believe that this could be a little bit of a closer game just because of the injuries. So 
plus four is kind of where I lean, but I still would expect the Lions at home to win this football game. That takes us to Indianapolis, where the Colts are coming off an impressive upset of the Kansas City Chiefs. The Titans come into town here. Indianapolis at home favored three and a half points over under 43. Pretty easy matchup here to watch. It's going to be the battle of the running backs, right? You got Derrick Henry on one side. You got Jonathan Taylor on the other side. That's it. I mean, both of these teams are built on running the football, controlling the clock, you know, converting on those third downs, making it third and manageable so you can even run the ball on third down and then playing that complimentary kind of play action type football where you have the Michael Pittmans, uh, you have the Robert Woods, you have Traylon Burks, you have those guys on the other side. But again, they're run first offenses. So I'm expecting a lot of running. I'm expecting both of these running backs probably to see like 25 touches at least. So it should be a pretty nice fantasy output if you have Derrick Henry or um, if you have Jonathan Taylor. But I think the important thing for the Titans are, you know, they need to win a football game. They need to win this game. They're on the road. The Colts bounced back and had a really impressive victory against the Chiefs, but I'm still not impressed with Matt Ryan, and I'm still not impressed with anybody that Ryan Tannehill right now is passing to. I think there was a quote that came out saying they want to get Traylon Burks more involved. It's been a year where the rookie receivers have really, really flourished, like a lot more so than, you know, even what we expected, knowing that it was a good cream uh, or good crop of guys that we had coming in this year. But we want to see Traylon Burks kind of fit into that equation as well with the Wilsons and, you know, the Olaves and all the other guys, the Londons. So we want to see Traylon Burks get involved there. But for me, I'm looking at which team gets to play football their way. Because, again, it could be a situation where both teams get to run the ball accordingly and then we just have, you know, really, really long drives on both sides of football. So it just becomes who has the ball last or who has the ball, you know, the most. But with that being said, both of these running backs – you know, haven't really played according to drafting, being drafted number one overall. Derrick Henry pop, probably most likely being drafted top five overall in most leagues. So uh, I'm expecting a bounce back from both running backs. It should be a run heavy day. Um, I don't personally have a lean, to be honest. The Colts, I know they upset the Chiefs last week, but we talk about the Titans. They're just a team that sticks around a lot. These are the games that they take care of business, kind of like they did last week. So I'm a little remiss to say the Colts should take care of business at home. But it's just going to be one of those where the running back that gets the run game established and looks the best early on is going to dictate the rest of this game. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's fair. Um, next up, we've got the Chicago Bears at New York Giants. The Giants are favored by three points and the over under is at thirty nine and a half. So Vegas is looking for a, a low scoring affair, which which makes sense, given these two uh, pretty poor uh, offenses. Uh, so for the Bears, no Monty. No, um, he is not playing. So Khalil Herbert will get the start. He's been an efficient back. Uh, when he starts, uh, he is the top. He he averages 22 and a half opportunities. And and I'm speaking in terms of fantasy points. So 14 fantasy points per game for a backup. You got to be really happy. It's fantastic. Yeah. I know. Right. And so he's a he's a top 10 running back this week. You gotta you have to start him. Um, and uh, on the Giants side, I'm going to start with uh, sort of the injuries. You know, we know that Sterling Shepard, uh, he had an ACL season-ending injury. So um, Galladay and Tony need to step up, right? You, you pay the guy. Like, Galladay, I don't know where he is, what he's doing, uh, but he just he's just got to get connected with Danny, Danny Dimes. Um, he seems so disinterested in football. Like, it's just, it's you know, like, you just body language and everything. Like, it's just not there. And yeah. I mean, it's so sad if it's the fact that he made his money because he made way more money than I think anybody expected him to make. And now mm -hmm. that he's secured the bag, he just kind of doesn't care. But it's just a really, really sad brand of football, if that is the case. Because, you know, you can't have guys like Richie James out, outshining you when you're signing like $90 million contracts, man. It's just not, it just, it just you just can't have that. And right. so uh, you're absolutely right. I think Galladay needs to step up. And Tony, like the flashes we've seen from him, they're not consistent, but it's also like, he's not on the field very often. So is he like, mm -hmm. is he just struggling to learn the offense? Is he just, is he have a feud with the coach? Like what's going on? Why is arguably their best offensive weapon outside of Saquon Barkley not seeing the field? Yeah. Him and him and Galladay are like in the same boat where they just seem like they don't, they don't really care. Uh, yeah. But spe but speaking of Saquon Barkley, he is the offense. He, uh, the Giants offense are fourth uh, in terms of rushing stats is concerned. Um, and and where their passing offense is, is 30th given, you know, Galladay and Tony and all these guys we mentioned. Um, so they're going to have to run the ball often. Both teams, both teams are going to run the ball. I think it's very similar to that Colts and, uh, um, 
Colts and Titans game where you know it's going to be a running running affair, a quick game. It's going to end sooner than the, some of the other games probably. Um, but uh, the the Giants, as far as stats, uh, their rush defense is twenty fifth. Um, and their defense is just not as good as a whole. They're 31st in turnover percentage. They have zero interceptions this whole uh, season. One bright spot here is the red zone uh, defense, which they're seventh in the red zone, and their third down defense is fourth. Um, so that just means it's going to be a boring game if you don't yeah. like. <laughs> they're just going to drive the ball down to the red zone and then stop them, and they're going to kick a field goal. They're yeah. going to have some field goal misses. It's going to be really annoying. Yeah, so I mean, I, I don't know which way to lean here. Um, honestly, Giants or Bears, it's it's a it's a toss up. I'm gonna flip a coin, and if it's heads, I'm gonna go Giants. If it's tails, I'm gonna go Bears. So really, um, but yeah, high running, good for fantasy, bad for anything else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm 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 slowly jumping off the Fields train. I know there we need to, we talked about it last week, and we yeah. have to give him some grace period. He needs weapons. He needs a team around him, but. You know, these are the games, man, where you have to just win, like figure out a way you're playing teams that aren't amazing offenses that don't have an amazing defense, right? Like you have to be the X factor. And so, yeah, the running backs are definitely going to be kind of what the focus of this game is going to be on. But when they start to put eight in the box, knowing that you're going to run the football, like Justin Fields has to make plays. And that's going to be the difference. If he can finally have a game that like we think he's capable of having, he should be the difference. But Right now, Daniel Jones seems more athletic than him. Daniel Jones is running as a quarterback more than Fields is, and he's being more successful at doing that than Fields is. And so I don't think a lot of people were expecting that, but I've been impressed with the way Danny Dimes at least runs the football as a quarterback, um, and he takes a lot of chances. And so um, if I have to lean, Giants at home with the Bears offense looking as putrid, putrid as it has, and Saquon still stealing the show, I'm going to ride with Saquon and the Giants. Yeah, it's hard to believe that both of these teams are two and one, right? But we're talking about like they're 0 and 3. <laughs> no, I mean, dude, the, the visually, my eyes tell me that these teams should be 0 and 3. So the record does not match what the no. product on the field. Next up is a very, very intriguing matchup. The Jacksonville Jaguars are traveling to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. Eagles at home look like the team to beat so far in the NFC, maybe the NFL as a whole. They're favored six and a half points over under sitting at 46. Uh, a lot to like here, man. I mean, Jalen Hurts has looked so, so good early in the season. He's done a really good job of utilizing all of his weapons. I think he's doing the right amount of deciding when to run and the right amount of just staying in the pocket and making those throws. Goddard's been impressive. A.J. Brown has had his week. Devontae Smith has had his week. So, And Miles Sanders has looked you know, a lot better than last year where he was averaging like four carries a game before they became such a run-heavy offense. So I think they've really found their formula as a team and Jalen Hurts has taken that next step, not to mention that defense has looked phenomenal, right? You have the cornerbacks, you have the pressure. Um, it's just been a really, really complete football team. But but let's not dismiss the Jaguars. The Jaguars are coming off of two of the best performances of Trevor Lawrence's young career. Um, all of a sudden, it looks like he has weapons that want to play for him. And all of a sudden, you know, Doug Peterson has this team on a revenge tour, right? The former coach of the Eagles now coming back to Philadelphia. He's won a Super Bowl there, and he's got his new nice young shiny toy in Trevor Lawrence um, that he wants to probably be like, this is the guy. Oh, you think you have a quarterback in Jalen Hurts? This is the guy. So I'm really intrigued to see how he gets this team prepared to play in such a hostile environment like Philly. This is going to be the biggest test for Trevor Lawrence probably in his career that that at least matters because every game last year to me honestly just didn't matter whether, you know, whoever they were playing. So knowing that they're actually on the up and up, these are important games to see if, you know, even if they don't win the game, can they be competitive? Can they actually look like they belong? And I love Peterson as a coach. I think he's going to have them ready to play. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to be the hot take guy, but I am, <laughs> you know, I am, I am looking at a possible upset here in yeah. Philadelphia, man. I, if they don't win six and a half point spread, you know, if I have to pick, I am going to ride with the Jaguars plus six and a half. Call me crazy. No, you're not crazy. I think if the Jags want to be respectable in this league, uh, then, you know, they come out and win and everyone will put them on the map. Also, what they could also do is run the Philly special. That'd be oh, amazing. yeah. Oh, <laughs> man. In Philadelphia with Peterson as their coach, Trevor Lawrence catching the touchdown pass to win the football game. How man. great would that be? Nothing would ever come more full circle than that, man. That'd yeah. be freaking awesome. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got the New York Jets at Pittsburgh Steelers. The Pittsburgh is surprisingly favored by minus three five points. Over under is 49 and a half. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you, man. I, I really think Jets are a better team here. <laughs> I think, I think that Steelers are in a decline. Uh, not that they've ever been up, but they, they're just <laughs> it's just not looking good uh, for the Steelers. Uh, TJ Watt obviously is not playing. And who is playing for the Jets is Zach Wilson. And it's all really going to matter to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, is it's his first game of the season. So he just has to make sure to not mess up, right? I think uh, so the, the Steelers... Their offense isn't flowing. Their defense is not doing anything special to rave home about. Uh, Akilah Witherspoon is also out. Uh, they're not their number one quarterback, cornerback, but the second uh, second string cornerback is out. So um, I think that the Steelers have a have a very uphill battle if they win. If they do end up winning, it's going to be because it was a hard-fought Tomlin type of game. They grinded it out, kicked some field goals. Trubisky comes out, throws to George Pickens, exploits that defense of the New York Jets that is a little bit of a concern and ends the game that way. That's the only way they can win, keeping it competitive and uh, a miracle at the end. Um, but I think that the Jets are a better team if Zach Wilson can come out and uh, play well. That's that's really the X factor just because we haven't seen him um, play and he might be a little bit rusty on his first start. That's the only reason why the Jets don't end up winning this game. Other than that, I think it's the Jets to, game to win. And lastly, if the Steelers end up losing this game, then you should go to the bank, take your money out. And if you can run a parlay, I don't even think you can do this, but if you can do a parlay on the next four Steelers game, Pick the other team because they've got the Eagles, they've got the Bucks, they've got the Bills. They're pretty much screwed. Uh, wow. They and then they go to bye week, so they could go to the bye week going one and seven, and uh, that's it. That, that's that's the rest of the um, season for the Steelers. I mean, at that point, Matt Canada's fired, right? I mean, Tomlin's not going to get fired. Let's be real, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe I I want to say Tomlin's not going to wait till one and seven to make such a big change, like whether it's. Kenny Pickett coming in, whether it's, you know what, Canada sucks at play calling. Let's just get him out. He's so predictable. I don't know what the situation is, but man, Mike Tomlin has always been kind of a man of action. So I have to believe that he's not going to let them go one and seven. I mean, if they lose to the Jets here and drop to what, one and three, one and four, a one, yeah, and three, one and three. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be some sort of a change. They're going to need to get the juices flowing. They're going to, because again, dude, like you said, there's trouble everywhere. When JJ Watt's playing, at least he can mask a lot of the defensive flaws. Sorry, TJ Watt. He can mask a lot of the defensive flaws because he yeah. can get to the quarterback. But when they can't generate any pass rush, then all of a sudden their safeties, all of a sudden their cornerbacks, everybody is a problem on the field. And so I think we're going to have to rely, or you're going to, as a Steelers fan and as Steelers country, they're going to have to rely on the fact that Zach Wilson loves to turn the football over. It's his first game back. He, like you said, he could be rusty. So banking and being an opportunistic defense like you said ugly football game probably a lot of field goals um but that's going to be the way they're going to have to inch and squeak and claw away to win this game yeah there's a lot uh riding on the line here if they don't win this game just because of the i am sure i'm sure it's in the back of their mind right like the matchups that's coming up so i i've got to expect that they will go all in on this game just because of the threat that's coming up the storm The next game on the board should be a great matchup. Buffalo travels to Baltimore to take on the Ravens. Baltimore at home, three-point underdogs, over-under sitting at 51. Man, I mean, there's no other thing to watch in this game besides the quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson, through three games this year, has the most fantasy points of any quarterback through three games in any season in the history of football. That's it. Wow. Stop. In the history of football, right? That is incredible. This dude is on a revenge tour. Everybody gave him shit last year, got hurt, didn't play the best, saw that cover one blitz package and didn't know how to kind of expose that or exploit that. And this year, he is a man on a mission, man. Uh, Rashad Bateman's been a nice surprise. He's finally stepped up. Mark Andrews is already Mark Andrews. J.K. Dobbins is slowly coming into his own in terms of getting healthy. I think the fear is still on the defensive side of the ball for the Ravens. The Bills offense is already the Bills offense. We know that they're insanely explosive. So there's nothing to lead me to believe that this shouldn't be a high scoring game. Um, You know, I just think Buffalo, as great as Josh Allen is, as great as the receivers are, they have to at least have a respectable run game. They can't make their offense so one-dimensional where Josh Allen's throwing the football 63 times like he did last week that the defense just doesn't even have to worry about the run. You know, like it's so easy, so much easier to call defense when you know that more than like, like 
75 plus percent of the time, they're going to pass the football, right? It makes it that much easier to call defensive plays. So I think even if it's not sexy, even if it's not like the high flying, you know, Allen wants to throw the ball 60 times, just run the ball, run the ball almost the entire first quarter. See if you can establish the run because at least the defense will, defense will start to come forward a little bit and respect that. If not, then what? Devin Singletary can have a 200 yard rushing game because again, no teams are respecting their run game right now that they have to throw the ball 61 times. And last week, it's not like they were ever down tremendous amounts to the Dolphins, right? They were winning that game for a large chunk of that game. Yet Josh Allen still threw the football 63 times. So it's just not a recipe in the long run for success. Even if you have such a great quarterback, you have to at least be balanced or at least keep the defenses honest to know that you can run the football. So I'm expecting the Buffalo Bills to at least do that because the reasoning also is you want to keep a guy as explosive as Lamar Jackson off the field as much as possible, right? And as great as it is for Buffalo to, you know, have a 80-yard bomb touchdown, that just means Lamar Jackson gets on the field that much quicker and he can run the ball 80 yards for a touchdown, right? So you're just right back to where you started. I think Buffalo is going to try to slow the game down a little bit, run the football, try to run it successfully, and then create some of those RPO read option pass options where, you know, the linebackers are coming up a little bit to respect the fact that they may run the football. And then that opens up things for Diggs and Davis and McKenzie and everybody else. So, you know, I didn't think I'd be saying this, that Buffalo needs to slow things down a bit, but I think last week is a little bit of a wake up call that we know the league knows the team knows Buffalo knows how good their football team is. But in order to take that next step, in order to not fall into the uh, the trap that they fell into last year in that game against the Chiefs, where it became just a Allen's going to throw a touchdown. Mahomes is going to throw a touchdown. Allen's going to throw a touchdown. Mahomes is going to touch down. Whoever gets the ball last wins a football game. That's what happened, right? Buffalo needs to stop that from happening. And the best way to do that is to control the clock and keep Lamar Jackson off the field. So I think if they can do that, that's going to be the difference. I don't expect Buffalo to struggle scoring the football because the Ravens defense has not been great, but I do want to see them run the football because I think the Ravens will turn around and score well too, because Buffalo still has a lot of injuries in their secondary. So um, look for a high scoring affair, but my one ask and what I'm hoping to see is Buffalo at least respect their ability to run the football a little bit more to keep the defense honest. Yeah. Doesn't don't, don't all the lines seem really low this week? Like, and just in general, like the trend of the NFL, like a lot of scores that you, the games that you think is going to be high, uh, po- like a lot of points are, are not necessarily. So hopefully this game breaks that trend. Cause I would love to see a Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen back, back and forth action. You're spot on. I, I can't, I had the tweet. I, I'd been following the betting Twitter for a while now. I'm pretty sure unders are coming in at like a 65% clip through three oh, wow. weeks. So yeah, it's a really, really high number. So I know, again, that's why Vegas and that's why the books are making so much money because most people love to bet overs. Mm-hmm. They love to take overs just to watch scoring happen. But at that rate, I mean, it does make sense to start riding the honors, but I don't know if the lines have shifted and adjusted according to three weeks of football. And that's why the lines seem a little bit lower. So we could see a first, you know, one of our first weeks where there's more overs coming in than unders, but you make a great point. It has been that way. And the, the, the proof is in the pudding. The stats do dictate that at least like 65% of unders have hit. Interesting. All right. Next up, we've got the LA Chargers at Houston Texans. The Chargers are favored by minus five points and over-unders at 44. And it seems like every game that I've been talking about has been like guys, teams where like injuries are like riddled on the team. It's, <laughs> it's just like, the NFL right now, dude. It's that's, wild. That's true. That's true. Week four, and we're 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 getting hit with the injury bugs. Um, the Chargers are no not uh, are, are not short of that at all. So Keenan Allen is questionable. He was practicing, but then he got hurt in practice due to his <laughs> hamstring injury. Uh, Jalen Guyton, we know he's out. Um, and uh, Herbert, he says he's good, but I mean, the guy's got to be He was good last week. He said yeah. he was good last week. He was hurt and he played, but he can't look that same way and play. It's just, you know, it's one of those things where like Baker Mayfield last year tried to play through that shoulder injury and we saw how bad he was playing. Now, it's not to say Herbert's going to play that bad, but you're still a detriment to your team when you're limited. You have limitations, right? I mean, mm-hmm. when we saw that he couldn't run two yards for the first down and just threw the ball all awkwardly a couple weeks ago, like that's as big of an indication as any that it's probably better to have a backup quarterback on the field that's at 100%. So I'm hoping because uh, th- this broken rib cartilage thing, I think just progresses with time. So I'm hoping every week that he plays, mm-hmm. he gets better. So uh, another week under the belt, hopefully he's looking a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I've never had my wrist broken, but that, I mean, that just sounds really painful. So I, I would be def- in bed. I would yeah. be in bed. I would not move. I would exactly. be like, I am in so much pain. These guys are yeah. ballers. 
and he's about to get hit by a truck, right? Like every Sunday, it's it's crazy. Dude. Um, and so there's there's Herbert, there's Joey Bosa, also injured. J.C. Jackson's questionable. They're starting offensive tackle Rashawn Slater, also injured. So they're they're banged up, man. They're they're not looking good. So the Texans can really come in and take uh have this could be I guess a, maybe a trap game. I mean Texans come in and definitely win outright. Or that minus five line just seems a little too high for me. They did this last year too. The Texans played the Chargers and they had an upset. There was like the kickoff return and all these great yep. plays. Um, and uh, so Davis Mills balled out. So you could see a little, you could kind of get that in this game as well. And Damian Pierce is kind of on an uprise right now. He's not getting the third down reps or whenever they're behind those reps. But I think you 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 mentioned this. He's a rookie with more opportunities that they have, they'll have more confidence in that and not go to old man Rex Burkhead and maybe rely on uh, Damian Pierce some more. Uh, so the Chargers really, uh, in terms of how to win this game, they need to rely on Austin Eckler. Eckler needs to do needs to do better. Uh, and, and Texans give up a lot of yards against the runs. Uh, as a matter of fact, they've, they've given up the most yards and an average of 5.6 yards per carry. So this is Eckler's game. He needs to be utilized and run all over the Texans and just uh, you know go go back home to LA uh, happy, and then hopefully that their injury bugs. Uh, get better throughout, uh, you know, on the next coming weeks. Next up, we have the Arizona Cardinals traveling to Carolina to take on the Panthers. Panthers at home, favored by one and a half, over under 43 and a half. Man, this is just how far the mighty have fallen in terms of the Arizona Cardinals, man. I think what once was a team that we expected a lot of promise, a lot of potential last year, year before that, just having a quarterback like Kyler Murray, having a supposed offensive guru like Cliff Kingsbury, it just has not paid dividends to this team. And now they're underdogs to a, you know, a really, really just ugly Carolina Panthers team. I know they're on the road, but still Panthers being favored is just such a red flag to me. Panthers do have a pretty good defense, though. I think their defense hasn't gotten enough credit. They have been good. They just, you know, the first couple of weeks needed to kind of get things going and flowing, but uh, they have a good pass rush. They have good secondary. So uh, there is a product on the field for Carolina to be good on defense. And Carol and, and the Cardinals, the Cardinals, I think, are still dealing with those injuries, right? Rondell Morris saw in the injury report. Uh, James Conner is averaging 30 yards a game right now, rushing the football. So it's just Whoa. been absolutely porous. Yeah, that's why. That's why guys like, you know, Greg Dortch have had to step up. That's why, you know, Zach Ertz is seeing, I mean, Zach Ertz is a great football player, but, you know, they have all these tight ends, they have all these weapons, but there's just no game flow to their offense. It's a lot of op scripted stuff. And, it's kind of like a double-edged sword show of it where like Kyler Murray is at his best being off script, but the rest of the team kind of needs like a pattern or a yeah. flow to go off of, right? Like the receiver and the quarterback, the tight end and the quarterback need to have some chemistry to know like what they're going to do. So Kyler can be as off script as he wants, but if him and his receivers aren't on the same page, it's still not going to put a good product on the field. And I think that's kind of been their issue. I know they get Hopkins back in a couple of weeks, but we just, I just want to see something from this offense that's sustainable. And if it's going to have to be a situation where Kyler needs to get more scripted, then maybe you have to go that way. Maybe that is what the recipe for success is, but right now it's just not happening. And I'm just, you know, I picked Kyler Murray before the season to be like a perennial MVP candidate. And so far the team has just been so bad that obviously he's not in the running. And so um, my fear is that it's just not going to be that way. And I think Cliff Kingsbury probably is going to be on the hot seat if two or three more weeks of this kind of play transpires. But from the Carolina Panthers standpoint, CMC is hurt. He's back on the injury report. He was pra practicing, I think, in limited fashion today. But they have talked a little bit about Chuba Hubbard and uh, what is it, Dante Foreman. So I don't know if he is out. I don't think you can deploy either one of those guys with full confidence because it's going to be kind of like a split carry type thing. And the other thing to remember, DJ Moore, a guy that gets drafted pretty high, like in a pretty good spot because he has a receiver one. I think he has a total of like 80 yards receiving through three games. So it's it's been a piss poor offensive showing for the Panthers. Their defense has done them justice. It's been a piss poor offensive showing for the Cardinals. Their defense really hasn't done them justice. So I'm just fearful that this game is going to be incredibly ugly. I expect... I have expectations in my head that the Cardinal, this is the type of game that the Cardinals should come in and win, but the Panthers defense may be the reason that they don't. So I don't really know what to make of this football game at all. 
No, I, 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 I'm sorry, Carolina Panthers fans that are listening to this, but I think you guys are about to get seriously humbled, right, this week. Uh, being favored by one and a half points against Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, like, who have you beaten? Yeah, you beat the Browns. Yeah, you beat, uh, you beat the, uh, sorry, you lost to the Browns. You beat the Giants. You beat the Panthers. And now you think you could be favored? And no, I, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. The, the you know, Cardinals are going to come in and win this game. There's no, I don't have any doubt about it. And if I'm wrong, you, you guys can come and, you know, yell at me, but I just don't see it. Yeah. I mean, losing to the Browns and the Giants and their only win is against the Saints with Jameis Winston having like half of a back or a fourth of a back. I mean, you know, that's not really an impressive victory. And even that game, he allowed 14 points. So like you said, playing defense against a guy like Kyler Murray is a different level of defense you have to play. Their edge rushers, Brian Burns is phenomenal. JC Horn's been really, really good early in the season. So the defense is there, but you're right. It's just, it's such a disrespect to the Cardinals and what they should be versus what they are that this line is favoring Carolina. I mean, I'm absolutely baffled. All right. Next up, we have the New England Patriots at Green Bay Packers. Green Bay is favored by nine and a half points and the over under is at 40 and a half points. Uh, the biggest news here is that we're not clear about Mac Jones, whether he's going to start or not. Um, Bill Belichick has been just, uh, you know, straight face poker face as far as whether he's going to start. He's he, he's just playing his game. And I think it's kind of smart because once Brian Hoyer with their backup comes in, then you know that the Patriots are going to be a one dimensional team. Uh, Brian Hoyer's uh, completion percentage over expectation is 56 over 59. So that means that he is only better than three people. And that's Blaine Gabbard, Blake Bortles, and Mark Sanchez. He, gotcha. like, <laughs> and this is out of 1500 touches. So he's only better than three other quarterbacks with 1500. That's a horrible, that's a horrible list in a group of people to be associated <laughs> with. So, you know, Bill Belichick is probably trying to make it, make the Packers not just focus on their run defense, because according to PFF, one of the Packers Achilles heels is their run defense. They think the PFF ranks them as the second worst uh, in the league. So I think that's going to be the only way that the Patriots come out on top is running the ball well at Stevenson and, and Damian Harris. Um, but the Packers are a better team on offense. They got Romeo Dobbs. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Lazard is uh, playing or, uh, but, or Christian Watson and any of the other guys, but Romeo Dobbs, uh, AJ Dillon, um, uh, Aaron Jones, right? These guys are uh, really, they're they're good enough to go out there and score enough points for the Packers. I think Packers come out on top, but the only way, like I mentioned, the only way Patriots win is if they end up uh, winning on the run game. Yeah, Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson show is what it's going to have to be, right? Yeah. Converting on third downs, controlling the clock, keeping Aaron Rodgers off the field. Um, nine and a half seems like a big spread for against a team that does run the football a lot. So game script could dictate that being a lot closer affair. That takes us to Las Vegas, where the Raiders, who have looked disgusting, are hosting the Broncos, who will have looked equally disgusting. And this is another game show of it, where, my God, how, how, how much the mighty have fallen. The Broncos against the Raiders are two-and-a-half-point underdogs, where the Broncos came into the season as perennial Super Bowl contenders. Now they're two-and-a-half-point underdogs in Vegas against the Raiders, over under 45-and-a-half. Dude, I'm, I just... I don't know. I, I don't know. I have Russell Wilson on my team. I keep telling myself, this is the week, man. It's the Raiders. They look so bad. Like if there's a team that the Russell Wilson can cook against, it's the Raiders. But why is Vegas having the Raiders as a two and a half point favorite against the Broncos when at least the Broncos have, you know, a defense, you know, they at least have something on their team. That's, you know, that you can latch onto. Whereas the Raiders haven't had a good defense. Their offense has been so inconsistent. Der their car has been inconsistent. They can't run the football with Jacobs. Devontae Adams isn't seeing enough targets. Matt Collins is seeing too many targets. Like, there's no identity on this team. There's no identity on this team. They, they have no real flow to their offense or, their, or anything, for that matter. But the problem is the Broncos are suffering the same feat on their offensive side. Russell Wilson can't get going. Devontae Williams looks really, really good, but they don't run the football enough. Their offensive line hasn't been great. And Jerry Judy has been kind of, you know, hit or miss and not really present. Cortland Sutton has splashes here or there. but it's just not the offense that we expected to this offense to be when they signed Russell Wilson all off season, all the speculation of how good this team and this offense could be. They're just not quite there yet. And this line is a predicament of that to be two and a half point underdogs against a porous Raiders team that have just been so bad that continue to be bad 
that I think, you know, until they move on from Derek Carr, they're just going to be stuck in this land of like mediocrity to slightly below average. It's just straight disrespect to the Broncos, man. And I think it's a wake up call that if there's a week that they want to bounce back, it's against the Raiders. It's a divisional game. They have to win this game for the division sake and for the sake of just building some momentum. Um, so I honestly still, despite how ugly this team has looked, I'm going to take the Broncos on the road, two and a half point underdogs against the Raiders because I don't believe in the Raiders. Yeah, they haven't given us anything to believe in them. The, the only thing is like maybe they'll play our trump card because Josh McDaniels went to the, you know, the room with their owner and now he's, like, oh, yeah. he's got to win. He's a changed man. He's a changed man. Yeah, it's got to be a changed team. Yeah. yeah. No. Derek Carr has got to change. Agreed. All right. Next up, Sunday night football. The Chiefs at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Bucks, Chiefs, Brady, Mahomes. Rematch of the Super Bowl 55. I am so excited for this game. Forget anything I've said about Tom Brady. You know, Tom Brady, I'm going to start him. I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping for um, Tom Brady to have a couple of touchdowns. No, not really. I'm hoping, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's going to be heavy running game. Uh, they're going to do what they normally do. They're not They're not the team that throws the ball as often. So I think that they'll, they'll try to run the ball. And some play actions by Tom Brady may allow him to target guys like Mike Evans, um, it, it, Tom Brady's numbers for uh, when he does play action, when he doesn't do play action, are outstanding. It's like 24 touchdowns to five interceptions, whereas like the the difference is a little bit. Um, it, it's it's a less uh, percentage difference when it's uh, not a play action. So that that's really the running game has to complement the passing game for Tom Brady. Um, and uh, the Bucks defense is the fourth best defense in terms of yards allowed this year so uh i think that the chiefs will have a tough time getting through to this uh from uh, through this defense they may you know it's the chiefs it's patrick mahomes he'll find a way to get it end zone it's not going to be like a shutout by the buccaneers or anything like that uh and uh really the the it's the line is even right it's not favored one way or the other the over and under is 46 and which is a fair assessment of of these two teams the game is going to, like you mentioned, is going to be played in Tampa Bay, uh, not the U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. Um, there's some injuries to note that might be actually kind of important is Harrison Bucker is questionable. Uh, so it's not going to be Amendola after missing a field Thank goal God, and so extra bad. point. Yeah, so it's going to be Matthew Wright, who they picked up, uh, uh, what's it called? Um Promoted yeah, from the practice promoted. squad. That's the word I'm looking for. Promoted from the practice squad, which could be, you know, uh, something to note. Uh, this could be a three-point game and, uh, you know, missing a field goal, Bucks win with a field goal. That could uh, definitely happen. Uh, but it should be exciting. should be fun to watch. So, you know, uh, goat versus baby goat. Let's see what happens. Yeah. I mean, dude, I rode, I rode goat last week against second goat, and now it's goat against baby goat. And it's just everything in my power, all my money tells me to take Mahomes, man. Until Brady has enough weapons around him to make this offense mm -hmm. look like anything, they're so lackluster. Why would we not, as a pick -em, take Patrick Mahomes, man? So uh, I'm definitely riding Chiefs in my mind right now. I think that's going to be a bet that I place on Sunday. As a pick -em, as a coin toss, the Chiefs just have a better offense right now. They're, they just, they're flowing more. Uh, they still have Kelsey, obviously. So there's at least somebody that there's connection with versus the Buccaneers right now. Like, you know, he's scrambling to get Russell Gage the ball and Russell Gage is brand new to this team. So um, we, we need to see kind of how the injuries shake out for Brady, but as a pick em game, uh, give me baby goat because goat goat is just, he's just getting old man. And his offensive line is just not what it used to be. That kicks us into Monday night. The Rams are traveling to 49ers Ville to take on San Francisco in a big divisional matchup. 49ers at home favored by one and a half over under 42 and a half. Uh, the story of this show is obviously, again, divisional matchup. I'm expecting this game as well to be a pretty run-heavy game. I think the 49ers saw kind of last week the lingering effects of Jimmy Garoppolo and his injury still and his, his I guess, I don't know if it's, it's just he's not quite back to 100%. Knowing that they only have Jeff Wilson and no other running backs really there, when, when Jeff Wilson's on the field, I think teams are expecting them to run. So it's coming a little bit predictable, kind of like I mentioned, like their play calling seemed more predictable than it normally does. I, I don't know if that's why it was. And when Devo Samuel was in the backfield, they were giving him the ball. So it wasn't like they were disguising him being there. So I'm hoping Kyle Shanahan adjusts and, and their play calling can be a little bit more deceptive. But these two teams know each other really well. It's McVay, Shanahan, two guys that know each other really well. Divisional matchup. Um, I think Cooper Cup is going to get his. 
I'm expecting to see Cam Akers run the ball a lot, see if he can finally solidify himself as RB1 and, and take more carries away from Daryl Henderson. But on the 49ers side, we need Jeff Wilson to get going. I would like to see Debo Samuel touch the football a little bit more. He's, the, he's your best offensive weapon. And let's get guys like Ayuk and Kittle involved, man. 49ers have so many good weapons. Jimmy G, just start exploiting these weapons and start utilizing them a little bit more. The defense is there. The 49ers have a good defense. The Rams have, you know, a somewhat respectable defense, although not as great as they were last year. But this is going to be a tight game, hence the line at one and a half. I'm expecting Cooper Cup to have his. Matthew Stafford might be a good spot start there, even though the 49ers have a good defense. Cam Akers, you're probably still waiting a couple weeks before you really deploy him. But on the 49ers side, you got, you know, Debo Samuel, you're starting. You're probably starting Jeff Wilson. Uh, you're probably teeter-tottering between Brandon Ayuk till you see a little bit more consistency. And as great as he is, you can't start Kittle yet until he starts to produce. And it's just a sad sight to see for sore eyes because Kittle is one of the best tight ends in the league. So uh, expecting a ramp up in that offense from how vanilla they looked last week with Jimmy G's first start. Um, I'm hoping that they've kind of ramped things up a little bit, but should be a tight affair. It's going to be a great game for Monday night football uh, and a divisional matchup in San Francisco. That's it for the rundown show, but let's end the episode with moneymaker. Moneymaker has been a sad segment. Sad, sad for me. Uh, two and three year to date. I put out six plays last night for Thursday night football, all prop plays. Wouldn't you know it, two of the prop plays featured Tua Tagovailoa, who obviously we know the whole story there. So unfortunate to lose bets based on injury, but those are something you can't really cap for. Um, I don't know. I don't really have specific plays yet that I love yet. So what I'm going to do is more than likely do some research over the weekend and on Sunday before game time. Keep your notifications on. Follow Only Playbook at Twitter, and I will post my plays, my best bets for the weekend. Um there on Sunday and it's going to be a little bit earlier than expected guys because you have that London game make sure you set your alarms for 9 a.m eastern time 8 a.m central time 7 a.m mountain time 6 a.m pacific time so uh really really early game to get us started hopefully I can put out my tweets before that game starts follow us on twitter at only playbook uh to get all of the injury news all of the uh betting news everything that you need if you're watching you're watching on youtube you can listen to us on any of the podcast platforms um, Shobit, you have anything to add on this episode before we call it quits? Good luck to all the fantasy owners out there. Good luck to your fantasy team. Good luck to your favorite teams. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week.